This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. is a, a wolf with like just a big wolf or do you like a werewolf that's like a wolf man with pants welcome to overdue it's a podcast <laughs> about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew i gotta go with with wearing pants with still wearing clothes like bipedal yeah pants wearing werewolf like gotta a werewolf that. that could drink a beer like he yeah could- i don't want like a weird twilight just like a big ugly wolf looking thing. <laughs> no, it's less Is interesting. That how they look in Twilight? Yeah, because they take all their clothes off, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, why Jacob doesn't have a shirt on ever. It's all the time, he's getting naked. No, yeah. I need a yeah. And I guess hulking out of the clothes in some way is optional. Like if you have the, I, I imagine the pants is being torn in some way. But when I picture like a bipedal pants wearing werewolf, yes. A, but, yes, uh, I love a werewolf in blue jeans. That's the vibe that I want. Mm-hmm. Like he could work on my car or kill me. It's his prerogative. I, like a, I guess a red flannel shirt, but like open and no yes. undershirt underneath. Correct. Because you got to be able to see all the hair. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> and he loves like um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, but he doesn't like Skinner. I'm into this werewolf hmm. that yeah, we sure, that sure, we sure, created yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're talking about werewolves because it's we, spooked over. Because this is spooked over. I don't think there's any werewolves that we're going to meet in this episode. But we were I, thinking about werewolves. What? I don't know. I don't know because we haven't read this book yet. That's true. We cha- we're changing the rules, Craig. How do we change the rules for the uh, the book that we are reading this week? So we are reading "Revenge of the Russian Ghost" by Jay Liebold. It is a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Which, <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the sound. <laughs> whoop whoop. Uh, and this means that we are going to uh, like experience this book in real time. Um, Andrew and I are going to play it like a game in this in the way that it was written to be played. And we're gonna do some bad voices, and we're gonna make some bad decisions. And our goal is to see the most interesting endings. Um, we will probably take a few mulligans or, you know, bookmark a few key choices. Yes, we've done many of these episodes before. They have occasionally been the subject of legal disputes, but <laughs> everything is hunky-dory on that front at this point. Uh, but yeah, this is, so this is, I don't, I mean, we're nearing up on a dozen of them. I feel like Easily. we've done at least ten. The last one I think we did adventures. was the Knights of the Round Table one, where we met Merlin. That was a good one. That, that was a good was one. A dope um, one. And Jay Liebold. So the the series, which was created by uh, R. A. Montgomery and one other person, the name escapes me right now. Okay, I'm gonna look this up. I'll say that we read Jay Liebold's um, Secret of the Ninja. Several years ago, I recall Edward pa- Edward Packard Edward and R.A. Montgomery. So Excuse they are me. the most prolific choose-your-own-adventure authors. But there are many 
writers who wrote more than one. And yeah, Jay Liebold is one of them. We read The Secret of the Ninja. In what like I just said while you were Googling. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Uh, according just, to repetition is key to learning. According to fantasticfiction.com, Jay Liebold has been writing interactive stories and games for 14 years. I don't know when this was written. In recent years, he has written interactive scripts for IBM and Theatrix Interactive, among others. He started uh, by writing 16 books for the best-selling children's book series of the 1980s, Choose Your Own Adventure. He's written 12 other children's books, including science-based titles such as Dolphin Language and King Tut's Tomb. He also co-wrote Michelle Kwan's autobiography, Heart of a Champion. He grew up in Denver, California. I'm just looking up some just some dates on these books. Oh yeah, other to books. See if I can place when. So I got okay, him. Heart of a Champion. Michelle Kwan was written in 1997. Uh, cannot find the <laughs> googling King Tut's tomb. Liebold is not specific <laughs> enough to get me the information that I'm looking for. I have a full list of his Choose Your Own Adventure books, which run from 1984 to 1997. Things mm-hmm. like Sabotage, Spy for George Washington, right? Uh, the Secret of the Ninja, of course. He had a thing for ninjas. Secret of the Ninja, Beyond the Great Wall, Return of the Ninja, took a mm-hmm. break for You Are a Millionaire and Revenge of the Russian Ghost, uh, went back to The Lost Ninja, wrote one called Surf Monkeys, and then his last two were Ninja Cyborg and Ninja Avenger. Ninja Cyborg. Dude loves ninjas. <laughs> So there was much. a, I mean, I don't know if this is feeding into that phase of the, like the middle middle era internet, where oh. everybody just loved random humor that was all ninjas and pirates and bacon monkeys. I feel like this was probably a few years ahead of that curve. It but was. Likely, no, I'm just wondering if it contributed to it. Well, it's all the people who grew up Ninja Turtles got on the internet and were like ninjas. Am I right? Yeah. Everybody was r- totally random using the same like four. <laughs> Keywords. Yeah, there are also um, illustrations in this book, which we will attempt to describe, um, that were done by... There's an illustration on the cover, too, well, which we I just wanted to tell about. you about Stephen Marchisi, who Ooh. graduated from the Pratt Institute. He illustrated many books for both children and adults, including You Are a Superstar and Blood on the Handle, which is a choose-your-own-adventure <laughs> book! <laughs> um, and there's also, in the back of the edition I have, Andrew, not sure about yours, this book came out in 1990, um, it has ads for new books by R.A. Montgomery in the Trio Rebels in the New World series. Yeah, I do which have this coming in March. Appears it is the year 2015. <laughs> After decades of international war and destruction, the United States has splintered into two battling territories. It's up to three daring teenagers, codenamed Trio, to help protect the free and democratic Tertalia from conquest by the Doradans and their evil dictator, Arthur Gladstone. <laughs> Arthur Gladstone, a name that strikes fear like, into the heart. He's of probably like a scary militia guy. Like, oh no. I mean, Ari Montgomery, I mean, he guessed a little early with 2015, but I Just feel like he's not, he's not very early. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, um, so, so what do you want to say what, about the cover of this book, Andrew? I just want to say it looks like a couple of just pearly white preteens yes. looking at a crystal ball that's being administered, that's being <laughs> presented to them by... Tony Soprano's sister Janice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and the there Sopranos. is 
there is like a Ted Nugent esque figure looming in the crystal ball, who I imagine will be Rasputin. If the back of the book is to be believed, we are going to contact the spirit of Rasputin, Grigory Yefimovich Yav- Rasputin. 1869 to 1916, nice. <laughs> uh, healer to Nicholas II's son Alexei, uh, noted mystic and probably other things. And uh, after he took over the Russian court, a bunch of people tried to kill him multiple times, and then they finally killed him. That's his story. And that's why he's a ghost. And that's why he he's needs revenge. a ghost. So... Yeah, what's our do we have do, wanna, do we have rules aside from just like we're gonna do it till we're bored? <laughs> we have we have loose rules. I mean, the main rule is fill up an hour, which yeah. is the rule that we come to the podcast with every single uh-huh. week. But the rule for our choose your own adventure episodes is like informally we have like three lives or three yeah. endings we will get to. Um you have to do voices for uh-huh. all the characters, and we do have to try to the best of our ability mutually to keep the voices consistent, even though we alternate reading pages. Um, cho- choices are made by the person who was listening yep. to the current page being read. Yep. And it is fair game to say that you're going to keep your finger in a page so we can come back to it later after we win or lose the game. Yeah. That sounds good to me. That's pretty much it. And uh, just to do our our standard sync operation, your book ends at page 117, correct? I assume since we had the same preview of the Arya Montgomery (laughs) books. Yes, my my ends at 117. I have no fun like this was owned by Timmy notes in my edition, unfortunately. The only, my, the sole note is on the inside of the front cover, the word Kyle. (laughs) That's amazing. <laughs> that's it. And just like a used book barcode sticker on it. Oh, front. that's great. Okay. <laughs> I, Andrew, I turned a page in. There's a sketch of a bridge, presumably in Russia, and a warning. Do not read this book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures that you may have as an exchange student living in Russia. From time to time, as you read along, you will be asked to make a choice. Your choice may lead to success or disaster. The adventures you have are the results of your choices. You are responsible because you choose. After you make a choice, follow the instructions to see what happens to you next. Think carefully before you make a decision. The world of modern Russia can be exciting, but Russia at the turn of the century could be dangerous. You might find yourself back in time, face-to-face with Rasputin himself. Good luck. What year did the Berlin Wall fall? 89? Uh, 89 or 90, yeah. Okay. And this book came out in 1990. Um, do you think, were kids in 1990 like, whoa, Rasputin, cool? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is before the film Anastasia, which may, doesn't, is Rasputin in that movie? Uh, you're asking the wrong guy. I don't know. Anyway, they they probably had no idea who this was, to yeah, be Yeah, the honest. Berlin Wall fell in, in November 91. Okay. So Liebold was just into Russia, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You want to read me well, this? Well, this says November 89, so which is it, Internet? <laughs> is, the, is 91 when the, the union ended? Hmm. Hmm. This is good radio, us learning history. Uh, it's not important. Okay. I guess it is eight nine. I I okay. I think it is nineteen eighty nine. Let's go with nineteen eighty nine. 
<laughs> Let's just trying. erase all of this. Let's please erase all of this. Um. Okay. It, the the fall. Okay. The fall, like the event that we talk about when we talk about the Berlin Wall falling, was in November '89. Okay. The formal demolition of the wall began in June of 1990 and ended in November 1991. Man, history, huh? Germany, Germany reunified in October 1990. All right. Making history, history come alive here on Overdue. <laughs> Why don't you make this book come alive, Andrew? Tell me about the first picture and read me page one, please. Here's what we got. We got a, a person in a trench coat walking on a bridge next to a street lamp. And there is a sort of tetris looking russian looking building in the background with a bunch of points on it that is what every american kid from the 80s knew about russia is that it looked like nes tetris it looked like the cover of tetris with like this doesn't have like the onion no tower no in it but it is kind of you if you pan the camera just left or just right probably a bunch of those onion towers sure um page one it has been a dark and gloomy wait it has been dark and gloomy all day in leningrad (laughs) the former capital of the Russian Empire. You're hurrying along the River Neva to the Nevsky Prospect, the largest avenue of Leningrad, on your way to meet your friend Ilya. She has promised you a surprise for tonight. The evening will start at one of the famous old restaurants of Leningrad, the Metropole. You never expected to end up in Russia when you arranged to do an internship for a semester at the Institute for Alternative Medicine. Whoa. But you got along so well with the research team that they asked you to come along with them on a trip to the Soviet Union to study Russian folk medicine and traditional healing. Oh, no. Your team is part of an exchange program with a group of Soviet students studying similar practices. After you're done in Russia, they will come to the United States to study holistic medicine in America. So cool. Our character goes to goop school (laughs) and we are doing an exchange program with Russia. In Soviet Russia, goop cures you. <laughs> Wait, that's exactly. Well, what no, I'm, that that works, that works because it's yeah because the formula is that the thing is reversed from what it normally does. <laughs> Page two. Uh, so far, the program has been fascinating. The Russians have told you what they've learned about folk remedies, herbal medicine, and faith healing, and you've brought them up to date on what you have learned about the connection between mind and body how the mind seems to have much more of an influence over what happens in the body than was previously thought. You've also got to know a member of the Soviet team, a Russian girl your age, named Ilya. Over the past week, you've become fast friends. You've been surprised at how much the two of you have in common, though she does retain certain distinctly Russian traits. She's one of the new breed of Russians. Someone who is not afraid to speak her mind and who is interested in learning about the West. She wants to hear all about the latest music, movies, and fashions in America. Meanwhile, from her, you are learning about the Soviet Union, a country that has been close to Westerners in many ways ever since the revolution in 1917. Okay. Boy, the phrase Um, in many ways is doing a lot of lifting. (laughs) It really is. Uh, As you walk along the Nevsky Prospect to your meeting with Ilya, the air in the city seems to be thickening. It's not quite dusk, but already the streetlights are on. The whole day has been like this. It didn't really get light out until about 10 this morning. There's been a heaviness in the air and a burning smell. The city seems to be brooding. Ilya has promised a special evening. She wouldn't say what it was. She just told you to meet her at the restaurant. Should I keep going, Andrew? 
you can take it if you want. Sure. No, yeah, go for it. It's it's long, right. but it's just one continuous thing. So All right, yeah. go on to the next page. You arrive yeah. at the Metropole and find Ilya waiting in line. She greets you in the Russian way with three kisses on the cheek. There's only a half hour wait, she tells you cheerily. <laughs> this next line. What kind of guy? What kind of kid you are always, we? Is you always even... try to. You always do like a weird clipped thing it's that not, I have but that's trouble keeping up yeah, with. Yeah. But no, it's not good for this. Um, There's only a half hour wait. She tells you cheerily. <laughs> not bad for this country, you reply. Okay. As far right. as I can tell, waiting in line is a national pastime here in Russia. Very funny, Ilya says. <laughs> You like to tease her about the shortcomings of her society. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> wow, choose your own propaganda. Jay Leopold fighting the Cold War <laughs> himself. 45 minutes later, you're seated at a table inside the Metropole. Is that a dig, too? A waiter brings a menu apologizing that only one is available. That is a dig. You've learned enough Russian to get by, so you don't need to ask Ilya to translate it for you. Let's splurge, Ilya says, and you and get caviar. <laughs> Yuck, you reply. You won't catch me eating those little fish eggs. Come on, Ilya says. You have to at least try it. You won't truly have experienced Russia if you don't. <laughs> the waiter returns, and you give your order. He shakes his head impatiently and says, Out! You try again and have to go through half the menu before you find a dish that's available. Ilya orders her caviar. What is Lebo wow. doing in this book? I, I mean, I know exactly what he's doing. It's just, what, what do we think about it? I don't know. <laughs> we will, remains to be seen. So just so you know, in my brain, our character is like a plucky Midwestern protagonist of a kid's movie. Like, I, I think I think he is that, and I think he also perceives himself to be worldly and knowledgeable, yes. even though he is not. Oh, love yeah. it. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Turn to page mm -hmm. 10, Andrew. Turn to page 10. Uh, so on page 10, opposite on page 11, we have a photo of us, a white boy, as is typical in these books. Yeah. Sort of holding our chin slash throat. And making a face that implies that we've eaten something that is not agreeing with He's us. He's got a real Oscar Wilde vibe in this photo, in this picture, to be bit. honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like a yeah. melting Oscar Wilde. <laughs> By the time the food comes, you're ravenous. You start eating and ask Ilya, so what's the surprise? Close your eyes and open your mouth, she says. Without thinking, you comply. She puts something in your mouth and you chomp down. It's cold with lots of little juicy balls and slightly fishy. Caviar, you choke out, your eyes bulging. It's good, isn't it? I'm going to get Ilya. I'm going to figure no, it out. No, you're fine. Ilya says, smiling, but that's not the surprise. Verging in the strong bat again. All right, you say to Ilya sourly, forcing yourself to swallow the caviar. What's the real surprise? The real surprise is that we are going to a seance tonight. Ilya answers. A seance? You mean like with Ouija boards and crystal balls and talking spirits and all that? Exactly. Can you do Ilya for me? Yeah, I'm getting, real quick. I'm un, I'm unmoored. One thing that is helpful: put your put the your tongue in the back of your mouth. So mm -hmm. exactly, exactly, but exactly. without okay. and and most I is going to be e. Okay. Uh, exactly. <laughs> 
That's it. That's it exactly. Perfect. Ilya says, but without the Ouija boards. You should take this seriously. I thought you wanted to learn about Russian mysticism. You sigh. I do. It's just that it's been such a strange day. Everything has been so dark and gloomy with that weird burning smell in the air. I feel spooked. Ooh, spooky. Now you're starting to see the real Leningrad, Ilya says, not smiling. <laughs> Tonight will be very special. The seance is being conducted by Madame Kolodnia. <laughs> She's recently arrived from Siberia, and her powers are supposed to be very great. I've heard she even has some gypsy blood in her. Well, okay. Tonight, mm. she will try to contact the spirit of Rasputin. <laughs> Turn to page 19. God. It's going really good so far. Oh, jeez. We haven't had a choice yet, which you know is not my favorite. It's but. Yeah, I mean, so this is book 99 in the series, which means the formula is a little more settled. So I'm confident that once we get to choices, they'll start coming pretty fast and furious. But there are always, yeah, like six or seven pages of table setting that need to happen yeah. before that. Yeah. Rasputin, you exclaim. I thought he was a horrible monster. He was in some ways, Ilya responds. <laughs> But he was also reputed to have great healing powers. He became the personal advisor to the Tsar and Tsarina Nicholas II and Alexandra. Several times they credited him with saving their son's life. And once he supposedly raised another relative of, their, relative of theirs from the dead. I guess I don't know much about him other than that he was a monk of some kind. He was mostly self-taught, Ilias says. Some say he was a holy man. Others said he was a devil. He was born a peasant in Siberia, and through luck and his personal magnetism, magnetism, he became the most powerful man in Russia next to the Tsar. Many of, many of the aristocracy were scandalized by this, and he wanted to get rid of him. Finally, a prince took things into his own hands, and after many attempts, succeeded in assassinating Rasputin. Ilya leans over and goes in a low voice. He was killed on this very <laughs> night, December 16th. That's why this seance will be so interesting. You shiver. I'm not sure I want to go. Come on, Ilya says, picking up her coat. Whenever you think of all this, it will be a fascinating experiment. Turn to page seven. We can't do Russian for all of them, but we're going to spend a lot of time with Ilya. So. I think Ilya has to be Russian and the rest of them can be... So, something anything yeah. else <laughs> but i do i appreciate the opportunity to like broaden my horizons and, and work on my sort of vo oh yeah chops, i am you know? i'm also very uh grateful for the show i did a year ago that had russians in it that's just mm, this is just sure, sure, in sure. my brain here so go for yes. it page seven okay page seven another photo we've got a man in one of those like cylindrical fuzzy russian hats yeah and a two, like two kids in long coats. One I think would be you, and one would be Ilya. And you're knocking on a door of a building. And yeah. in the background of this one, look at that onion towers. <laughs> Delicious. Nice. You and Ilya bundle up and leave the restaurant, walking into the cold Leningrad night. As you make your way through the swirling snow, you feel more and more apprehensive about what you're getting into. You turn off the busy thoroughfares and go down crooked side streets into a neighborhood of grim, dilapidated buildings. The wind whistles through the tiny spaces between the buildings, and the streets are deserted. You and Ilya walk in silence. 
As you approach the door to Madame Colodnia's flat, a man suddenly emerges from the shadows. A moment of your time, he asks. The sound of his voice makes you jump. You grab Ilya's arm and she rings the doorbell. I don't like this, you say to Ilya. Forget about the seance. Let's get out of here. Don't worry, Ilya says. She rings the bell again, but no one comes. I forget what I did already. You, you did like... I, I wanted to talk to you, little, the man the rasps. Warlock. Yeah, go for it. He's wearing a dark overcoat and holding a shoebox under his arm. He starts toward you. If you grab Ilya's arm and run, turn to page 89. If you remain at the door and tell the man to go away, turn to page 24. So run or stand your ground. Also, my take on the relationship right now is that Ilya calls the shots. So yeah, no, I don't, I don't know if it matters what we want to do. This might be a, a very early branch, so we might want to mark it. But I'm going to go yeah, with uh, remain at the door and tell the man to go away on page, right, page 24. Page 24. <clears throat> All right, here you go. Uh, go away, you tell the man at Madame Kolodnia's door. Ilya tries the knob and finds that it is unlocked. You both rush inside, shutting the door and locking it behind you. You run up the stairs, kicking the snow off your boots. On the top floor is Madame Kolodnia's flat. You enter a very strange world. The room is suffused with a candle with candlelight coming from the rows of candles along the walls. Above the yeah, candles, that's usually where candlelight comes from. <laughs> above the candles hang dark icon paintings, and next to them are weird objects you can't quite figure out. The smell of incense wafts through the air. Even stranger than the objects in the room are the people. You've met some odd characters in the course of your work at the Institute, but none compared to this. In a glance, you see a bald-headed woman, a man with a black beard dressed in colorful robes, and an olive-skinned gypsy, among others plus the man who accosted you outside. You draw a sharp breath. How? You begin, but the man approaches, still carrying the shoebox under his arm. He kisses Ilya three times on the cheek, saying, Ilya, darling, how nice to see you. <laughs> I'm going to the next page. Yeah, go for um, it. Do you know him? You ask Ilya. Now I remember his voice. He has called me several times on the telephone, Ilya says. <laughs> she gives him a cold look, but I don't know him. He claims he has something for you. Me, you squeak. That's right, the man says in his slow, raspy voice. <laughs> an object of great value. No, an object of great value, which I think you'll find of supreme interest, if you will allow me. The, but the man is interrupted by the tolling of the midnight bells. Someone claps their hands and announces, Attention, please, it is time for the seance to begin. Everyone, please sit down at the table. Turn to page 15. Another picture. Do you want? I've been doing a lot of pictures. You describe this. So one. this, there's a okay. There's candle light coming from candles. Um, from there candles, are several right? candelabras. Like just like the word said. There are uh, paintings on the walls. You can't really see above where the candlelight is. And there are six, no, seven people seated around a ta- seated around a table. Um, and it's unclear if there's like a crystal ball on the table or not. There's something in front of someone who looks like they might be doing some magic. Mm-hmm. Um, with one person, we're looking at one person's back. I'm not sure if that's shoebox man or someone else. Sure, we do see bald lady. We do, yes, there at the left. You yes. know, and I think Madame Kalania would be the one with the headband. Yeah, like jewelry. a headband and like a Jerry curl kind of thing going on. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. 
He's very like Jerry Seinfeld puffy shirt. <laughs> sort of. You and Ilya take this opportunity to slip away from the man with the shoebox. You go into another room where a long oval table is set up for the seance. You sit as far away from the man as possible. Madame Kalodnia enters and sits at the head of the table. Her hair is bright red and shining gold loops dangle from her ears. She takes a moment to fix everyone at the table with her dark penetrating eyes and then says, Tonight is a very special night. You got to get sexy. Okay, great. We will attempt to contact the spirit of Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin, the famous holy man. Nodding at you, she says, we have a guest joining us who has come all the way from America to learn about Rasputin's healing powers. You blush and nudge Ilya, who just shrugs. Madame Kalania asks the group to join hands and close their eyes. She begins the seance, calling upon the calling up the spirit of Rasputin. For a long time, nothing happens. People can begin to shift in their chairs and let out little coughs. The room seems hot. Patience, Madame Kalania whispers. He will come. Slowly, you become aware that the walls are trembling, at first only slightly, and then, with increasing force, turn to page 30. The vibrations increase. Objects on the side tables start to rattle. A vase crashes to the floor. The pictures on the wall start to fall off one by one, and the oval table begins to shake. Then suddenly, several candles fall to the floor, igniting the curtains. A tremendously angry force is in the room, whipping through it like a hurricane. There is panic at the table. People are shrieking, and everyone gets up at the same time to flee. The guests are running into one another in a mad rush to leave. You trip over someone and fall fall headlong to the floor. You scramble to your feet, jostled by the crush of bodies around you. The flames from the curtains rise higher and higher. Ilya, you cry, but you can't find her. Suddenly, you're face to face with the man with the shoebox. It's burning my hands, he cries (laughs) and thrusts the shoebox at you. You take it without thinking, but don't feel any heat coming from it. Over here, a woman calls. You turn around and rush to a window she's raised, which opens out onto a metal fire escape. You clamber out and climb down the fire escape as fast as you can when it ends 15 feet above the ground you jump into a snowbank you get to your feet and run as fast as you can away from the burning building panic has seized you shapes are running every way which every which way in the dark you just keep running without thinking all you know is that you want to get as far away from the terrifying force in the room as you can you're going to turn to page 18 i think this is the miss opportunity for a choice or two yeah i think this is telling us a lot about what we are doing without asking us what we would like to do i feel like a burning room is a great opportunity to make some choices yeah right okay as you yeah like do you try to go through the door or you jump out the fire escape like it's pretty simple yeah. i don't know i don't want to tell jay Liebold how to do his job but but we've only made what one choice one so far? choice so far all right as you flee through the crooked streets of the neighborhood you're aware of dark shapes following you you can't make out who or what they are but you don't stop to try your legs just keep pumping as fast as they can suddenly you come out into a large space it's a wide deserted boulevard on the other side is a bridge you cross the boulevard and stop to read a placard on the bridge's entrance petrovsky bridge you're at the river ne- neva neva who knows neva neva A hand on your shoulder nearly makes you jump out of your skin. Ilya, you cry when you see who it is. She grabs your hand and starts running across the bridge. This way. way. Yeah, you've got the TH really good. This way, she says breathlessly. Uh, Turn to page 31. There's like a little sketch of a creepy crystal ball. Like a crystal ball with some creepy eyes in it. Looks kind of like a squid. Mm. 
Looking back, you see the dark shapes are still following you. Halfway across the bridge, coming from the other direction, are flashing lights. It's the police! Ilya leads you to the side of the bridge. We, we must escape, she says. <laughs> Her breath coming in short gasps. <laughs> You're going to get a little Chekhov in there. <laughs> her face is ghostly white. She starts to climb up on the parapet of the bridge. You grab her saying, Ilya, no. You you don't understand. She, oh, uh, you don't understand. Mm, you don't understand, she hisses urgently. We must escape. Her eyes are glazed. It's too dangerous, you say, but she's on top of the parapet. She starts pulling you after her. Come on, she insists. It's our only choice. Suddenly you feel heat in your hands. You realize that the shoebox is now very hot. The police are closing in from one side. The shape's pursuing you from the other. Ilya seems to be in a trance, but maybe she knows what she's doing. You feel a strange pull, too, as if icy fingers are drawing you into the river. Maybe you should jump with her. Then again, maybe the shoebox is the cause of all the trouble. Perhaps you should throw it over the edge instead and be rid of it. Andrew, if you climb onto the parapet with Ilya, turn to page 22. If you throw the shoebox over the side, turn to page 21. Um, so I feel like jumping into a river in Russia in December is a really, really good way to get hypothermia and die. Yeah. But on the other hand, are we going to do like a sort of an action movie thing where we like jump off the bridge and there's like a ship passing underneath and then we meet some mysterious strangers who change our lives forever i'm just like wary of getting rid of the most interesting thing we've interacted with so far which is Ilya, and also no, this you, box the shoe box no <laughs> um i would i would also advocate for for putting a finger in this choice yeah sure but page yeah, 31 i would i'd uh yeah, page thirty one. I would st- I would keep the shoebox and climb up onto the parapet. All I right, think. go for it. So page twenty two. I need thinner bookmarks. <laughs> you take Ilya's hand, climb up onto the parapet, and fling yourself into the abysmal waters of the Neva. You don't remember hitting the surface layer of ice and breaking through to the water. Instead, you experience a very pleasant, cool, soothing sensation. In some very removed part of your mind, you think you must be having an out-of-body experience. Maybe this is death, you think. If so, it's not so bad. (laughs) You open your eyes to find yourself alone on the bank of the river. Ilya is nowhere to be seen. Harsh gray light hits your eyes. You're shivering, shot through with cold. Your hair is frozen, and even your eyelashes are iced. The longer you're awake, the more the chill penetrates. It's painful, and you just want to go back to sleep. Just then, a booming voice comes from above. I feel like this is one we're going to be doing a lot, so let's have a confab about what this voice we think this voice should be well he's booming like lends itself to like another vagrant eh? yeah i love it but yes is that too no that's fine okay another vagrant eh? turn to page nine he talks that way even when he's right next to you that's the thing yeah this is booming voice you look up to see a policeman coming down the bank towards you but he's like no policeman you've ever seen He wears elaborate ornamentation and an old-fashioned overcoat. He's big and hearty, and he has a huge (laughs) handlebar mustache. Have you ever described a person as hearty before? (laughs) Hearty is an adjective that goes with, like, a soup. Food, yeah. Yeah, it's not a person adjective. Like, maybe a hearty bread or, yeah, a stew. Like, hearty with a D is a person adjective. Hearty with with a T... Not is a food. Maybe a hearty laugh, a hearty chuckle. 
Yeah, but still, that's a that's a thing that's coming from a person. He's not... big and hearty and has a mm-hmm. huge handlebar mustache. Come right. on, he says in a jovial voice. <laughs> We've settled on Santa. I'll, which is <laughs> I'll help you up. We'd better get you down to the station and thaw you out. Teeth chattering, you nod mutely. The policeman helps you climb the embankment. We've also made the friendliest cop ever. Uh, Mm -hmm. The policeman helps you climb the embankment, and as you reach the top, you notice you're not hearing the sounds of the city you expect to. Instead of the steady roar of traffic along the boulevard, you hear the jingle of sleigh bells. He is saying the rattling of trolleys and the occasional putt-putt of an automobile. Where are we? You ask the policeman. It was that bad last night, eh? The policeman jokes. Welcome to Petrograd. Petrograd? That was the name given to St. Petersburg just before this 1917 revolution. Before it was renamed Leningrad in 1924. You're in pre-revolutionary Russia. Turn to page 35. Time travel. Now we're getting somewhere. This is good. Do you still have a box, you think? Probably not. That's a good question. I don't know. As the policeman walks you to the station, you venture to ask him the year. He just laughs and says, It's nearly the end of 1916, my friend. You must have had quite a night. 15-year-old? <laughs> yeah, are we old enough to drink? Like, what's happening? <laughs> yes, you murmur. I did. You speak strangely, the policeman adds. Where are you from? Thinking quickly, you say, I'm English. <laughs> You know many Britons and Europeans lived in Petrograd before the revolution. Ah, that explains it. Well, English or not, I'll have to book you for vagrancy. But don't worry. It'll give you a chance to warm up. It looks like you could use it. The street is full of life. Women carry baskets on their heads. Newsboys hawk their papers. Kiosks and bazaars bustle with activity. But you get the same sense of foreboding as before. It's even stronger now. There's a frenzy to all the activity and a feeling of doom. The air is heavy and a purplish brown, and you smell that same burning odor from before. Turn to page four. So if you ask Jay Liebold, Russia was never that great, no matter what time. No, Russia was always bad. Um, so remember, for purposes of kayfabe, that our boy is an American, a, a chipper, perky American who is now pretending to be from Britain. Okay. You walk stiffly in your frozen clothes. The policeman introduces himself as Boris. Of course he does. You're glad when you get to the warmth of the police station, but the sergeant is in charge is not as cordial as Boris. He books you brusquely and then demands... What's in the box? You'd forgotten you still had the shoebox under your arm. It feels like it's become part of your body. I don't don't know, you say. Uh, The sergeant narrows his eyes at you. Open it up, he directs Boris. Maybe you are a terrorist in disguise. (laughs) Sorry. The use of terrorist feels like an anachronism here, and it made me laugh. Um Maybe you are a terrorist in disguise. You have a bomb in there, perhaps? You watch with dread as Boris removes the lid. Uh, It's just an old boot, he shrugs, showing the sergeant the open box. Boris hands it back to you, and sure enough, inside is a beat-up old leather boot. It's several sizes too large for you. What do you want that for, the sergeant demands with irritation. (laughs) You never know when you might need it, you reply, but you're as mystified as he is. Turn to page page 33. 33. Just like, uh, imagine talking, but you can only say it like, what's in the box? (laughs) (laughs) What's in the box? (laughs) Got a very, like, 
Bev Big Head. It's vibe. also got like a it's like a what's up energy. What's up? <laughs> the sergeant decides you're a loopy but harmless foreigner what? and oh. allows Boris to take you to the holding tank so you can thaw out. Good luck, my friend, Boris says as he leaves you. I hope life gets better for you. You thank Boris and settle in with three other prisoners around a samovar in the middle of the room. The ice in your clothes slowly melts, and soon you're taking off your outer garments to wring the water out of them. What happened? Did you fall in the river? Asks one of the prisoners, an olive-skinned man with ringlets of curly hair over his ears. There's a twinkle in his coal-black eyes. As a... as a matter of fact, all I did, you answer flatly. Man. <laughs> yup. You made these choices. Wait, what wait, what did I do? He's I the like, he's like your south he's your southern voice. Oh, that can that can be bad for your health, he observes. <laughs> not as not as I, this is just gonna be normal. Not as bad as the SARS police, the other prisoner comments. He's a thin man with a goatee, intense gray eyes, and rimless spectacles. Uh, and well, they should. And well, they should be hard, Fyodor. I'm gonna wait until these people like it becomes clear that we're gonna be sticking around. I have a suspicion about voices, the third one, but many. yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Uh, because he has a yeah. And and well, they should be hard, Fyodor. With devils like you about, says the third prisoner from the corner, who is dressed in monk's robes. The thin man named Fyodor glares at the monk in the corner. It will not be long, long, Iliodor. <laughs> the corrupt clergy, the. Greedy owners, clergy, the greedy owners, and the incompetent ruling classes have all gotten fat off the toil of the masses. But the day is coming. Yo, he's rapping. People will rise up and throw off their chains. Then you and your ilk will find out who the real devils are. Turn to page 84. Okay, do we think this is Rasputin or Lenin? (laughs) John Lennon. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, page 84. Uh, Iliador is the thin man, right? I think so. You you pick voices if you can, but this is it's too many characters and too many voices, and I, my brain was breaking already. Yeah. I pray that day does not come, Iliodor responds to Fyodor fervently. It would mean the destruction of holy Russia. Yes, Fyodor says, and the birth of a new Russia. A sigh comes <laughs> from the man with dark eyes. Russia will always be Russia, and you two will always be at each other's throats. Wait, wasn't Dark Eyes Southern guy? Isn't he the only one I had a voice for? Oh, I, no, maybe Fyodor was the one who was who was the Southern guy. Excuse me. Hmm. I'll I'll read Fyodor again. Okay. Okay. It's very important that we yes. be consistent. I pray that day does not come. It would mean the destruction of Holy Russia. Yes. Wait. Yes, Fyodor says, and the birth of a new Russia. There you a go. sigh comes from the man with dark eyes. Russia will always be Russia, and you two will always be at each other's throats. Uh, what do you know about it, you ignorant gypsy? Iliador spits. Woo, he doesn't seem to approve of anyone. The gypsy shrugs and smiles. I know what I know, everything and nothing. Uh, what are you in for, Fyodor asks him. <laughs> Disturbing the peace. Fyodor and Iliador are both southern, and that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. Disturbing the peace, the gypsy replies. A noble cause, Iliador mutters. Fyodor ignores Iliador's comment, yet seems to agree with him. Why do you waste so much energy on song and dance? I know you need to distract yourself from the misery all around you, but you could be using that energy to change the conditions of your lives. The gypsy looks at Fyodor, his brow furrowed. My friend... 
I can see you are a very dedicated man with a righteous cause, but I fear you are too single-minded. If your revolution does not know how to dance, then it will be for nothing. <laughs> oh, so this, you're saying this is a dance-dance revolution. <laughs> uh, turn to page 37. Getting political well, I don't know up what's in here. going on right now. Um, as your three companions in the holding cell continue their banter, you think about your predicament. You're in pre-revolutionary Petrograd in the dead of winter. You don't know how you've gotten there or how to get back to Leningrad in your own time. You figure it must have something to do with the boot in the shoebox, which became strangely hot just before you jumped into the river. Thank you, Nibba. Jay. Yes, of course. It may also have something to do with Rasputin, since it seemed to be his spirit that destroyed the seance at Madame Colonia's house. But whether the boot and Rasputin have anything to do with one another and how you can find out is a mystery. One thing you do know is that you don't want to go back out into the cold. With no money and no place to go, you'll quickly freeze. You'll need to ask one of your cellmates for help. All four of you are about to be released, but which one should you ask? From listening to them, you gather that the gypsy is going to return to his caravan. He seems warm-hearted, yet you wonder how much he can really help you. Fyodor seems like the kind of person who'd be willing to take you in. He's obviously intelligent, but single-minded. Iliador the monk may be in the best position to help you, yet he's also the most unpleasant. Can we saying the word gypsy a lot i feel like we just need to like quickly acknowledge that that we know that that's a problematic yes it's bad yeah yes. this is a book from 1990 and i think the retrogradeness is part of the fun of reading it in the year 2020 so we're just gonna barrel through yeah. i think mm-hmm. um if you ask the gypsy for help turn to page 28 if you ask fyodor how do we fyodor fyodor, fyodor i think Fyodor, turn to page 41. If you ask Iliador, turn to page 62. Which of these characters' voices do you want to live with? I think is the well, question. Well, and the I, book think, is I, I think I may have gotten it wrong. I think we did meet our Roma friend first, and that was the one you gave a southern accent to. I, I you, you assigned a more raspy thing. Yeah. Which I think it's fine. Okay. I think it's fine as long as we agree going forward. Okay. Um,. I mean, that guy seems the most interesting. The other guys have names that are too similar for me to tell them apart. Like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> they feel like like the Russian chipmunks who are yes. looking for their Alvin. Uh-huh. <laughs> like... <laughs> so, I don't know. You want to go with Iliador the Monk? Turn to page 62? Yeah, that's fine with me. I mean, my book is getting a little busy right now. Or, oh, but... do you want to go or go with, with the gypsy to turn to page 28? No, I think Iliador is good. Okay, we'll go with Iliador. But I'm going to mark this page, too. And that's going to be the last page I mark. Okay. Because I'm out of things on my desk that can conveniently serve as bookmarks. Okay, so we're going to page 62? 62, yes. Uh, Am I reading this? Wait. Yeah, which one? I made the choice, so I'm reading it, right? I don't know. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) I got lost. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Just go. Just go. Okay. You seem like a very pious man, you say to Iliador, knowing you need to flatter him. Could I come with you when we get out of prison and study your ideas? I love to study people's ideas. Fyodor looks disgusted at your words. Iliador inspects you with a severe eye. I am a pilgrim, he declares. My way is hard. You must be prepared to give up everything to follow me. I doubt you have what it takes. I'll do it. I'll give up everything, you insist. You neglect to mention that at the moment you have very little to give up. I'm sure with such an excellent teacher as yourself, I'll soon be on the right path. 
Iliador, always looking for an audience, can't resist your reasoning. He agrees to let you become his student. No sooner are you released from the holding cell than Iliador starts a discourse about everything under the sun. That man, Fyodor, made my blood boil, he says. Those revolutionaries are the devil incarnate. They believe in nothing but themselves. Russia is in a bad enough state as it is without them going around setting off bombs. And we're in the middle of a war with Germany. Not that the Tsar knows the first thing about governing, but still he is the Tsar. I'm telling you, though, it's Tsarina Alexandra who wears the pants in their palace. I know about modern idioms. Yeah, I feel like we reason. should we should have gotten like a cool <laughs> Russian idiom that's like Tsarina Alexandra's the horse who rides that turkey. Like, you know, <laughs> something that's transliterated really poorly. <laughs> As he talks, Iliador leads you all over Petrograd, following no logic that you can see. You can't get a word in edgewise to ask where he's taking you. Turn to page 97. I've got a weird... Ooh. I've got two pages stuck together. Uh-oh. We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. Kyle Kyle took good care of his copy of this book. These so. pages are... they. It was like they were printed stuck together. <laughs> oh, my God. If you need if you need me to pinch it and read 97 for you, let me know. But, yeah, you're having a lot of trouble. I got it. I'm okay, here. Awesome. Iliador goes on for a long time about how soft and decadent the imperial family have become and how the country Same. should return to the days of iron discipline. And to top it all off, the Tsarina listens to no one but the holy devil. Do you mean do you mean Rasputin? You ask. The mention of Rasputin's name really sets Iliador off. He goes into a long rant about the mystic's crimes, some of which are truly harrowing. He'll stop at nothing to get what he wants, Il- Ilidor says. I've heard that he has taken little children and chopped them up to use in his black magic potions. <laughs> Every once in a while... You- Wait, are they black potions that are magic, or are they potions of black magic? I like the idea that they are magic potions that are just the color of ink. The color of black, okay. <laughs> Every once in a while, you try to slip in a word to Iliador. I have a problem that may well be spiritual in nature, and I was wondering if you knew anybody who might be able to help me, you start. It's not as if I haven't met the man, Iliador goes on. I knew him many years ago, before he became the fiend that he is today. He tried to recruit me, but I resisted temptation. No, he won't help anyone unless there's something in it for him. Maybe what I need is some sort of medium or mystic, you put in. Instead of <laughs> replying, Iliador suddenly stops, takes you by the shoulders, and looks you straight in the face. Are you hungry? He asks. I guess so, you answer. <laughs> Good, he says, starting off in a completely new direction. I have a friend, a wealthy and cultured man, a prince, actually. He's a great patriot and one of my biggest fans. <laughs> Who is this guy? 115. All right. We are in a an ornate looking building with with high vaulted sort of ceilings and a chandelier and many ornate staircases. Uh, you soon find yourself at the door of the Moika Palace, a very grand stone structure near the river. Iliador explains that this is one of the three palaces in Petrograd owned by his patron, Prince Yusupov. When the doorman sees Iliador, he smiles and says, Come in, please. You have arrived just in time to take dinner with the prince. Everyone loves this down, guy. Everyone loves this Mickey Mouse doorman. <laughs> oh, come in, please. You have arrived just in time to take dinner with the prince. 
As you walk down the marble hallways, you now I want this guy to be in more of it. Okay. Yep. As you walk down the marble hallways, you gasp at the luxury of the palace. You see rooms decorated with rich oriental rugs and famous paintings, tables topped with gold snuff boxes and crystal bowls full of uncut sapphires, emeralds, and opals. I just love Whoa. <laughs> I just like the idea that at a, at like a pier one in pre-revolutionary <laughs> Russia, instead of those like wicker baskets full of balls or whatever, they would just have like a bowl full of rubies. I love it. It's perfect. Iliador whispers to you that you're in for a gourmet meal. You can't complain about that. You're starving. Turn to page 59. You and Iliador are shown into a dining room with a lavishly set table and a huge crystal chandelier hanging overhead. Several men are seated around the table and Prince Yusupov at the head rises when he sees his new guests. Iliador, my old friend, he says warmly. How delightful to see you. You are always welcome at my table. Iliador introduces you, and you sit down to a delicious meal. You try not to gobble your food, even though you're starving. You notice that Iliador is quite uninhibited in this respect. Yusupov is not exactly what you expected. He's young and dashing, perfectly quaffed, but somewhat of a dandy given to extravagant (laughs) gestures and coy mannerisms. Nevertheless, as you listen to the conversation, you soon realize that the subject under discussion at this elegantly appointed table is how to carry out an assassination. I say we just shoot him, one of the men says. Yusupov wrinkles up his nose. Too messy. Why not run him over with an automobile, another man suggests. In public, Yusupov says, seeming shocked. Besides, it's not sure enough. (laughs) I'm telling you, this man is stronger than a horse. He's superhuman. We must have a sure way of finishing him off. The prince old sport. (laughs) Yes. The prince thinks for a moment. Soon a slow smile comes over his face. Poison, he says wickedly. It's secret, it's silent, and it's sure. I'll invite him over one night. Slip a triple dose of poison into his wine, and the deed will be done. Turn to page 40. (laughs) I want more choices, but I love all these characters. These characters are all pretty good. Uh, Page 40. You're beginning to feel uncomfortable with the dinner conversation. (laughs) Isn't it strange that nobody has, like, addressed you or, like, asked who you are? Even though you don't know who it is Prince Yusupov and his friends are planning to kill, they're certainly making no effort to hide their plot. Then Iliador suddenly stands up and announces, Thank you for the meal, Prince, but we must leave now. Turning to you, he says, I am making a pilgrimage to the ver- ver- to the monastery in Siberia. <laughs> you may come as my assistant. I know of a Seretz, a master teacher there, who you can consult about your problem. So you realize Iliador did hear you before after all, but you're not the least bit sure that you want to go to Siberia with him. Aside from the fact that his nonstop talk may drive you crazy, it's a long way away from Rasputin, Petrograd, and the River Neva. Yet your only other option at the moment is to ask Prince Yusupov if you can stay on with him. Considering how much he likes Iliador, you assume he'd be willing to have you, but do you want to be a guest to a host who's in the middle of an assassination plot? Mm, do i i know the choice i would make okay i think i think you know what it is too is it staying with yusupov for the assassination yes yes Yes, it absolutely is more yusupov please i will ask yusupov if i can stay at his palace and turn to page 76 all right here we go yes uh oh should i wait is the boy still trying to be british i let i forgot that the other page well no nobody that was mm. just for the cops. Yeah, no, he he is still trying to be British. Okay, though, because Iliador met him as British. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, we lapsed <laughs> yeah, there. It's okay. You hesitate as Iliador prepares to leave. 
Maybe it's not such a good idea for me to go to Siberia, you say. You're certainly welcome to be my guest, Prince Yusupov suggests. Iliador looks hurt when you accept Yusupov's offer, but then he just shrugs and goes on his way. Yusupov directs a servant to make up a room for you. Turn to page 68. That night, you're invited to dine informally in the prince's chambers. Yusupov is outfitted in a silk dressing gown and fur slippers. This feels like a trap, a sex trap of Mm -hmm. some kind. (laughs) He leans back on a divan and eats from a tray. So tell me, he says, popping a tart into his mouth. Have you been a follower of Iliador's for very long? Er, not too long, you reply. He's a good and pious man, though I must say he tends to run off at the mouth a little too much. What is this problem he was going to help you with? It's his spiritual nature, you reply elusively. I think it may have something to do with Rasputin. Rasputin? The prince exclaims. Now there is Asteritz. That man has colossal inner strength. He can see into the very soul of Russia. I have gone to him for treatment many times. What kind of treatment, you ask nosily? <laughs> Yusupov throws his arms in the air. Everything. It's not easy being a prince. We've had the most extraordinary hypnosis sessions. When I was under his spell, I'll tell you, I could feel his power, he said, clenching his fists. Maybe I should go see him then, you say. Oh, no, Yusupov says, chewing madly and waving his hand. <laughs> What's he chewing on? (laughs) You don't want to do that. I have come to realize that though he has phenomenal talents, Rasputin lacks judgment, temperance. He possesses power without responsibility, and there is no combination more dangerous. That is why he must die. Turn to page 100. Am I honoring your choice for Yusupov? You enough don't don't lose the old sport he sh- make sure, sure he sounds like he just came back from crew okay as okay, much okay, as okay, possible okay. and That's i might e- i will see if i can pull it back too with a yeah. shock you realize it's rasputin that the prince is planning to murder seeing the recognition on your face yusupov goes on yes it is rasputin we are going to kill i regret it very much <laughs> i love the man but i love mother russia even more than i do him even more than i love my own life for the good of the nation, Rasputin must die. <laughs> is, isn't there a, way, a better way to get him out of the way? You ask the prince, dazed. We've tried, he says glumly. The Tsarina will listen to no one else. He can't be threatened or bribed. Any advisor who says a bad word about Rasputin is thrown out on his ear. No, this is the only course of action left. Your mind is reeling. Should you let Yusupov and his friends go ahead with their plot, how will it affect your chances of getting back to Leningrad? What kind of danger are you in now that he's revealed himself to you, you wonder? You see two options. One is to pretend to help (laughs) Yusupov and then double-cross him when you get the chance. The other is to try to slip out of the palace and warn Rasputin about the plot, although that may be just as dangerous. Andrew, if you pretend that you want to help Yusupov, turn to page 50. If you decide to try to warn Rasputin, turn to page 72. Are you concerned at all that we are in Rasputin's corner sort of automatically like we we're 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 making a lot of logical leaps here like rasputin has something to do with why we're back in the past and he's the only way we can get back to the present but there's no evidence to support that 
supposition at all. Yeah, I'm I'm a little confused as to why the boy has already decided he's on Team Rasp. You know? Yeah. Right. Like, what's right. that about? Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe maybe I mean, which option gives us the most options to deviate? I mean, I I would like to pretend that I want to help. Yusupov, because I want to stay with him Great. for a little bit longer. That so works for me. Page 50. Yeah. yeah, we have not hit an ending yet. Nope, I'm hoping not at all. Jeez. Pretending to be convinced by Yusupov's argument against Rasputin, you say, "It sounds like you're planning a patriotic act, a patriotic, a patriotic act." Is there some way I can help? Yusupov thinks for a moment and then says. You may very well be able to help, old sport. (laughs) Stay here in the palace, and I'll let you know when we need you. Over the next few days, you sit in on Yusupov's meetings to plot the assassination. He and his associates divide... Man, I'm just losing it. He and his associates decide to invite Rasputin over at midnight on the chosen night and tell him that Yusupov's wife, Irina, wants to meet with him. Yusupov will take him into a room in the basement, specially furnished for the occasion, and entertain him until Irina arrives. But Irina will never arrive because (laughs) Yusupov will give Rasputin a poison glass of wine to drink. This is where you come in, Yusupov says to you. You will bring the wine glasses downstairs from the kitchen. Since you are the youngest, you will not suspect you of bringing him poisoned wine. It's true. Children cannot handle poisoned (laughs) wine. You nod mutely, trying to think of a way you could foil this plot. Turn to page 87. Okay, here we go. Still no endings, huh? Mm, Maybe Rasputin is here now, though. The appointed evening arrives, and one of Yusupov's accomplices, a doctor, sets off to bring Rasputin to the palace. You wait in the kitchen, and a little while hear the sound of friendly greetings and snow being clomped off boots at a back entrance. The doctor bustles into the kitchen and prepares a tray with cakes, biscuits, and two glasses full of wine. His hands shake as he opens a vial of poison and drops it into one of the glasses. This is a wholly different character, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, The tray is ready, he says to you. Now remember, Yusupov's glass is next to the cakes, and Rasputin's is next to the biscuits. (laughs) You nod and pick up the tray. You descend the stairs to the basement slowly and carefully. As you enter the room where Rasputin and Yusupov are seated, you try to keep your hands from shaking. There's an uneasy silence in the room, as if the host and visitor don't know what to say to one another. Some wine, perhaps? Yusupov asks Rasputin. (laughs) Rasputin clears his throat and says, Yes, why not? As you set the tray on a side table, you you figure this is your last chance to head off disaster. You glance sideways and see that Yusupov has turned to look at a painting and is facing away from you. Should you switch the glasses, Andrew? If you switch the wine glass, turn to page 117. If you decide it's too risky, page 108. While I muse about my choices, could you describe the image that we are seeing? Oh, yes. Um, Yusupov is looking away from a sad boy. That's us. Um, And he's in like a military outfit. He's a prince. And there is a man. He's got all his like medals and stuff on him. He's very decorated. Yeah. Um, And there's a man with a real kind of, you know, I've been on this island for 40 years, beard. (laughs) Very like Tom Hanks (laughs) castaway kind of. Yeah. Um, Drinking out of a tumbler. Not sure what he's drinking now that you've brought wine. Probably vodka. Uh, And he's got a huge right hand. 
That's racist. Also, um, can you just describe to me what's happening with Yusupov's left hand, which seems to be trying to escape him? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very long. It's, it's all very, fingers. It's very salad fingers, this hand that Yusupov has. It might just be a function of like the shadow shading, but it looks like his hands are all fingers from the wrist up. Oops, all fingers. Oops, all I'm fingers. I'm going to switch the wine glass. Let's kill somebody. All right, great. I love it. 117. Finally, okay. You quickly switch the wine glasses, give Rasputin a wink, and go back upstairs. A few minutes later, Yusupov comes up the stairs. Wait, wait, wait. You just hand. winked at Rasputin? You've yeah. never met him before? And you, <laughs> you come in with two wine glasses and you wink at Rasputin? Yeah. A few minutes later, Yusupov comes up the stairs. A full wine glass is in his hand. He walks right over to you and says, I was very rude downstairs. I didn't offer you any wine. Please, drink up. You have a feeling you know which glass he's waving in front of you, so you say, no thank you. I've had my eye on you the whole time. Did you really think you were any match for me? He says, a slight sneer crossing his face. Your plan almost worked, but you forgot one thing. The painting I was looking at had a glass cover, and glass reflects. He set the wine glass down on the table and gestures to his cohorts. They grab you, wrap you up in chains, and take you outside. This time, when you're thrown into the Neva, you won't come out. The end. Oh, snap. We wanted to kill somebody, and it turned out to be us. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, so we died. We did Um, die. Now, would you... Okay, so we could go back to the choice that we just made, which is switch the wine glasses or not. Maybe winking at Rasputin was the mistake that we made. I don't know. Um, or we could go back to one of the earlier choices and, and take you know take our chances. Do you want to go back to the one where we were in prison and there were the three guys and we went with Iliador? Sure. So that would be page... Page 37. Okay. So do you want to go with Fyodor or with um, what the book says, the gypsy? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question because I don't remember much about either of them at this point. I, th- I think let's ask the gypsy for help. Okay. And turn to page 28. Turn to page 28. Um, and the gypsy is southern also? Yes, okay. sure. <laughs> An officer comes to release the four of you, and as you walk down the corridor, you ask the gypsy if he can help you out. Of course, my friend, he answers. But what kind of help do you need? I'm only a gypsy. Embarrassed, you reply, uh, I I have no... I have no... Mm, he's British... He, I have no place to sleep tonight and very little money. Then you get an idea. I can teach you about herbal medicine if you take me in. It's a deal, he says. What's your name? You tell him and then <laughs> and then ask him his name. My real <laughs> name my real name is a secret, but you can call me Paul. 
outside the station. <laughs> outside the station, you get on a Secret tram Paul. for the long ride to the outskirts of Petrograd. Paul explains to you that the gypsies aren't allowed to stay within the city limits, so they set up their camps just outside. Along the way, Paul tells you about gypsy life. You find out there are people unto themselves, and that according to legend, their race dispersed many centuries ago to the ends of the earth. They continue to live a nomadic life, traveling and living in wagons and tents. They make a living as artisans, traders, musicians, dancers, and fortune tellers. You reflect that you'll probably learn more about herbal medicine from the gypsies than they will from you, but still you may know some things from your research that they don't. I like that you're still always you're always on the clock. You're still thinking about your fellowship from Goop School. <laughs> Turn to page 42. All right, this image is a Romani woman standing over a pot with a ladle, laughing with a big necklace. Yep. While a child runs in the background and a man plays a small stringed instrument. Yes. Next to an Oregon Trail wagon. Yes, correct. Uh, You're welcome into the gypsy camp and immediately fascinated by what you see. It's bustling with activity as women work over cook fires, men work at their crafts or sit around the fire smoking their pipes, and children run everywhere. The women are dressed in many layers of brightly colored skirts, scarves, and blouses, and adorned with all kinds of rings and necklaces. The men, too, wear bright colors as well as shiny buttons. Much of the clothing looks patched together from a variety of materials. The insides of the tents and wagons, while furnished very modestly, are well kept and clean. Tables, chests, trunks, beds, quilts, food supplies, and tools are all neatly arranged in the small spaces. You spend a couple of days helping out at the camp and discussing herb remedies and medicine with the gypsy women. You become accepted in the camp, and one day you venture to ask Paul if there is a fortune teller who might be able to help you. Certainly, he says, I will take you to see Tatiana. You would like to know your future? Not exactly, you say. I have a strange object which may be supernatural. You've been carrying this boot the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) I see, Paul says, and tactfully asks no further. Come with me. Turn to page 12. Tatiana is a withered old woman with sparkling black eyes. She looks you over and decides to permit you to enter her wagon. You put the shoebox up on the table, open it, and ask her what it's all about. The hokey pokey. (laughs) She lifts the boot out of the box and handles it for only a few seconds before a look of distaste comes over her face and she drops it. This is an insult, she cries, wiping her hands. Get it out of here. Get out. You pack up the box and exit quickly. You decide to find Paul and ask him, like, what could have made Tatiana so upset? He goes to her wagon and a few minutes later returns with an explanation. To be honest, it sounds like she was baffled by your boot. She was also disturbed because she could feel it had a very great force. But since she couldn't interpret it, she became angry. She realized it was beyond her powers. What can I do, you ask? Go on to the next page. Uh, yeah. Paul thinks for a moment, then says, you could go Maria. Everyone speaks of her powers. He lowers his voice and says reverently, she's a witch. <laughs> Where can I find Maria, you ask? Paul shrugs. Gypsies have no address, but I think she's in the <laughs> south in the Azerbaijan region. It is a long way away. You would just have to ask when you got there. Uh, you wonder if it's worth making the journey. Should you set off in search of Maria or stay with Paul's caravan? Andrew, if you decide to stay, try to find Maria. Page 96, if you want to stay with him. Page 38. I'm a little boy <laughs> trapped in the past. I'm not going to Azerbaijan. Yeah, like I don't trust my ability to find my way to Maria wherever she is. I think I'm going to stay with Paul's caravan okay. and turn to page 38. 
I think the next ending we have we find has to be it. has to be the end. Yeah, because this is run all along. Yep. Yeah. Paul nods sympathetically when you say you'd rather stay. It's a long trip, he says. It might be hard to find her, and even if you did, who knows? She'd be able to help you. You go to bed that night as mystified as ever about how you've ended up in a gypsy camp in pre-revolutionary Russia and why you've been carrying a nasty old boot this whole time <laughs> in a shoebox and why nobody has asked you what a shoebox is. Because it does say Converse on the side and they hadn't invented Converse yet. At three o'clock, the camp is roused by a group of carousers who arrive in automobiles. They're an odd, motley crew of well-heeled aristocrats, scruffy-looking artists, and police agents. They're quite drunk and want to be entertained. The cook fires are lit, the musical instruments are taken out, and the dancers awoken for the guests' enjoyment. You help out as best you can. A tent is cleared for the festivities. As you bring a steaming tray of food in, you see a striking figure at the center of the group, bellowing with laughter, a woman on each arm. He's tall and imposing, dressed in leather fill leather fur and silk his hair and beard stick out all over and his eyes are bright and wild tatiana grabs your sleeve points to him and hisses what was tatiana just a high-pitched old lady go for it it's it's rasputin that boot you brought me has something to do with him i can feel it turn to page 16 and on the other page on this one you have rasputin being pawed at by a woman yeah set a couple of women the party really gets going when the gypsies get out their guitars and the best singer in the camp stands up to do some heart-rending gypsy songs. As she sings, Rasputin breaks into tears and starts philosophizing to the group gathered inside the tent. The gypsies are the only ones who understand the true sadness of life, he says, waving his glass around. Listen to her voice. There is nothing like it in the world. With her voice, in the deepest laments, she finds joy. <laughs> you listen to the songs, and like everyone else in the tent, starts to become hypnotized. But the spell is broken by the sounds of hoofbeats and gunfire outside. You run out to see what is happening. A gang of rowdy Cossacks is galloping through the camp on horseback, firing their guns into the air. The Cossacks are professional soldiers who have long been an elite cavalry corps in Russia. The Cossacks gather outside the tent, and the captain loudly dem demands to see the leader of the gypsies. When the gypsy chief appears, the Cossack... Captain proclaims, we are on our way to the Western Front to fight the Germans, and we desire a last night of revelry. You will provide us with food and drink and entertainment at once. With that, he dismounts and strides into the tent, his saber rattling and pistol smoking. Turn to page 34. 34. You go into the kitchen tent to make a tray of hot tea to the to take a tray of hot tea to the guests. As you come back through the door of the main tent, you see the Cossack captain standing a few feet inside, faced off with Rasputin. The captain cuts a striking figure in his tight-waisted green tunic, baggy pants tucked inside his boots, and tall fur hat. Rasputin is equally striking as he rises from his seat and glowers at the Cossacks. Rasputin breaks the silence. You are very rude, my friend. What right do you have to burst in here with your guns and swords? You're barbarians. Rasputin's voice builds to a shout. You have no respect for the gypsies and no appreciation of their music. Your ears are not worthy of it. Get out of here right now. The captain draws himself up and spits words back at Rasputin. Tall Gimli. He's a tall, tall Gimli. Gimli. <laughs> Can you just give me a sample? How, how dare you speak to me like okay. that? How dare you speak to me like that, you animal? You are a disgrace to the Tsar and a blight on holy Russia. Rasputin flings a glass at the captain in anger and orders, Leave at once. 
The captain's eyes narrow, his mouth sets, and he very deliberately pulls his pistol from his holster. You're standing five feet from them near the entrance to the tent and the tray of hot drinks, ooh, hot drinks, in your hands. <laughs> a hush comes over the tent as the Cossack takes slow and deliberate aim at Rasputin. He raises his pistol to the sky. Mm-hmm. Wait! Um... If you throw the tray of hot drinks, hot drinks in the captain's face, turn to page 26. If you decide you'd better remain still, turn to page 44. I don't, apparently we are a big Rasputin stand. Like, I think we are here to, like, impede on Rasputin's behalf at all times. Yeah, like, I, I, and I think if you get to a point in Choose Your Own Adventure book where the choice is throw hot tea in someone's face or don't do that, <laughs> I think I know what the choice is. Yeah, we're going to throw some hot So, drinks. page 26, the picture on this one is you throwing a tray of hot tea at a man and he is covering his eyes. Oh, uh, yeah. With a heave, tea. you throw the tray of hot tea at the Cossack captain's head. He screams and drops his pistol, putting his hands to his face. Chaos ensues as Rasputin takes charge and leads the gypsies in routing the Cossacks from the tent and back to their horses, helping their injured captain onto the horse. They quickly mount and flee. Once the Cossacks are gone, Rasputin claps you on the shoulder and says with a laugh, that was a daring move you made back in the tent. I thought I was done for. You saved my life. He seems to find the whole thing very amusing. Let the festivities resume, he proclaims in a booming voice. He draws you back into the tent with him, making you his guest of honor for the night. The party finally draws to a close as the sun comes up in the morning. Rasputin, who has fallen into a deep snoring sleep, wakes up and tells his entourage it is time to return to Petrograd. Turning to you, he says, if you, never, if you ever need anything, come by my flat. Actually, you say, there is something I would like to talk to you about in private. Can I come back to Petrograd with you? Certainly, he says with a yawn. You can ride with me. Turn I feel to like page. We're getting somewhere. Turn to page eighty-five. We're gonna ask Rasputin for a big favor. <sighs> okay. I bet. Hopefully. Rasputin sleeps during most of the drive back to his flat. When you get there, his servants take him inside and make up a guest bed for you. They tell you not to disturb him until he's had a chance to rest up after last night's party. Rasputin has a hangover. Later in the day, <laughs> as you wait in the living room of his flat, Rasputin emerges bright and cheery. Ah, he says when he sees you, you're still here. What can I do for you? Please sit down, you say. Wait, no, that's Western. <laughs> we're we're going to drop the pretense now. Yes, and we're going to yes. we're not British anymore. Yep, uh-huh. Please sit down, you say, Whoa. handing him the shoebox. And tell me if you know what this is. Whatever you say, he replies merrily, but his expression changes quickly when he looks inside the box. You may have saved my life last night, he tells you, but I feel something very ominous from this boot. <laughs> it is a harbinger of my death. You're taken aback. But, you sputter, how can that be? Rasputin shakes his head slowly. I can't say exactly, but I feel it right down to my bones. You see, this is my boot. How can it be that I have your boot, you wonder? <laughs> You've been making so many decisions based on... This probably being his boot. Oh, my God. <laughs> you and this boot are not of this world, Rasputin replies abruptly. Is that not true? Man, if I had a nickel for every time someone told me that. Man. Yes, you admit. Wait, yes, you admit, <laughs> but isn't there some way I can help you prevent this from happening? No, it is my fate, he says sadly. I must accept it, and so must you. You feel sad as well. Rasputin, despite all his faults, has not been the monster you had expected him to be. So you expected him to be a monster, but you only wanted to help 
you only want to help him. There was a, there were and like, you thought you, you had his boot probably, but you're surprised that you have his boot. There were breadcrumbs. Okay. So like, let's think about this. We were, we mm-hmm. were at a seance to summon Rasputin. Someone, uh, Rasputin's ghost lit the room on fire and we may or may not have his magic boot. We fell into a river and went into the past. Uh-huh. I would probably want to find Rasputin if that had happened to me. I mean, if only because he's the only person whose name you know in pre-revolutionary Russia. Yeah. Like, like I don't think all your, like, hilarious breadline jokes are going to play super great here nope. in pre-revolutionary Russia compared to how they play in modern uh-huh. 90s Russia. Yeah. Uh, page 17. 17. Don't look so unhappy, Rasputin says, his bright eyes once again sparkling. It is my problem, not yours. This is, the f- this is not the first premonition I've had of my death. This only confirms it. He claps his hands together and continues, But you do have a problem, and that is how to get back to the world you came from, and how I think I know how to solve that. Rasputin pulls up a chair, and sit- he spins it around and sits on it backwards, and sits directly across <laughs> from you. Looks straight into my eyes. I, I want to rap with you. Now listen, drugs are bad. <laughs> Uh, do not take your gaze away from them concentrate on what I am saying think of nothing else you stare into Rasputin's intense blue eyes and soon you feel as if you are falling into them falling into bright blue pools of water turn to page 52 Andrew when you open your eyes you are soaking wet and gasping for breath on the banks of the river Nana Ilya is beside you looking at you with a big question mark on her face (laughs) Well, who who drew that there (laughs) You're never going to believe this, you say to her as you begin your story. She has a hard time believing it, <laughs> but you're not surprised. You hardly believe your own story yourself. The end. And there's a picture of a boot. Woo. You know what? I'm pretty satisfied with that one. No, I... I we experienced... I mean... Mm. I guess Rasputin was a ghost when we met him at the seance. Yeah, right? we were not. we were not, like, haunted by a ghost... For a long period of time. The revenge was the start of the story. <laughs> right. Which is weird. But then Rasputin ended up being a pretty cool dude who just happens to have supernatural eye powers. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. We yeah, also died. I enjoyed a bunch of the... We did die. I enjoy a bunch of the characters who we met, including Boris, the Santa guard. Yusupov, and the old Prince boy Yusupov, prince. Yusupov, the Gatsby prince. Yes. yes. And Ilya. I liked Ilya a lot. We didn't really spend yeah. much time with her. We left her back in the in the sad in the Soviet present. present. Yeah, just waiting for her boiled cabbage at the restaurant. Did, was, was there like like government underwriting of this book at the time? <laughs> it must have been. Like the subsidies if you... <laughs> if you if you extended like pro capitalist <laughs> propaganda in your children's literature, yeah. I mean, listen, it works. Like hey. our generation, yeah, you're right. grew grew up in that stuff. It's true. And, and so all we wanted was Transformers and Ninja Turtles and Barbies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and GoBots and Polly and Polly Pockets, Polly Pockets and Mighty Max. You know, mm-hmm. this is the kid stuff of kids' dreams, not boots and boxes and rivers and bread lines. I'm just gonna carry around my special shoebox with my nasty old boot in it forever. And people can just bring it up when they feel like. Like, I don't have to answer for it very often. Oh, man. Love to tell a 15-year-old that a woman in another country can solve his problem and that he best start walking. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't do that. Yep. 
I'm glad we didn't walk. Probably would have just frozen to death or to something. another country, yeah. Thanks for uh, journeying back in time to Russia with me, Andrew. From Russia to Russia, with love. Of course, yeah. Um, thanks to our listeners. My voice hurts. For li- yeah, my, my voice, voice hurts too. Hurts. This was just like of, it always does after. Kind of spooky. I didn't expect a ghost to set a room on fire. That was kind of a fun surprise. Every every time I do one of these, when when we end, I'm like, I'm gonna write down all the like voice genres I can do, and then next time we do this, I'm just gonna like run through and check them off, so I don't have to keep like checking and forgetting what I did and whatever. But let's no, try and make happens. a promise to ourselves next time, Andrew, that one of us will like jot down notes. As we maybe go, we can, maybe we can write off some like accent lessons as a <laughs> as a business expense. I kind of don't want to get better at them. I just want to keep better track. I, of them. I don't want to. I don't want to get better at the ones we know, but I do want to add new ones to our. Oh article. sure, okay, yeah. All right. If anybody wants to send us fun accent YouTubes, you can do that to our Facebook or our Twitter at Overdue Pod. Send us a Gmail. Uh, send us an <laughs> send us an email to our Gmail at overduepod at gmail.com. Um, for the social thing, thanks to Amanda, Lindsey Graham, Adam, Ingrid, Sydney, Carol, John, Liz, Britt, Teresa, Carrie, Liam, Adam, and many more for talking about the show on social media. A lot of folks have recently been like recommending the show to people, being like, "Hey, man." the world out there i need some podcasts and people are saying how about overdue which is how about this one really just makes me happy and just like i hope it works out andrew if folks want to know more about the show where should they go overduepodcast.com of course is our internet website up there we have links to apple Podcasts, google and our rss feed we're also on stitcher spotify and anywhere else you find fine podcasts we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Get bonus episodes early. Right now we are doing a long read project called Genie Babies where we read the 1001 nights a few nights at a time. We're having a really we're, we're having a good time with those. We just posted one of our uh, like combo episodes to the main feed relatively recently. So uh, we hope that whether you're a patron or not that you're enjoying that. I know we are. Um and yeah, we are halfway already through Spooktober. So next week, am I reading? Phantom no, I'm reading you? Phantom. All right, Craig is reading The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Larue, and Spooktober 26th, reading Demon Theory by Stephen Graham Jones. And then our bonus episode is Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. A very spooky month. It's pretty spooky. Spooky Rasputin. Rasputin. Get us out of here. Woof. Okay, try to be happy. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.